Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hanson ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. The FBI arrested Robert Hansen outside Foxstone Park at 4.43 p.m. on February 18, 2001. It was the Sunday of President's Day weekend. Agents took him to an FBI office in nearby Tyson's Corner, Virginia. Hansen wasted little time lawyering up. Bonnie was home, starting to get worried. As far as she knew, Hansen had dropped off his best friend Jack Hoshauer at Dulles Airport. He was supposed to return home for Sunday dinner. Bonnie got in her car and drove toward the airport. FBI agents intercepted her in the parking lot and escorted her back to the house. And so one of the agents on the squad talks to her and tells her to pack because her husband had been arrested and now we're executing a search warrant for the house. That's Steve Pluta. He was the FBI agent who spent the most time with Hansen immediately after his arrest. A source told us that during the search, Bonnie was cooperative, quiet, and calm, processing what had befallen her family. The two youngest children were also home. Greg Hansen, Bonnie and Bob's teenage son, helped an FBI agent locate his dad's guns inside the house. Bonnie wanted to talk. So she and an agent went up to the bedroom and sat on the bed. And at that time, Bonnie says, look, he may have been doing this as early as 1979. So that was, uh, you know, that, that was a shocker. Shocker. That would be putting it mildly. The FBI had only known about the spying he'd been doing for the KGB since 1985. Bonnie told the story of catching her husband in the basement, writing a letter. At first, she had assumed an affair. And it was. With the Russians. Bonnie's new information raised questions. We really didn't know whether she was involved, whether she was complicit in his activity, how much she knew. Bonnie and the two kids were taken to a hotel in Tyson's Corner while the FBI continued its search of the house. 
And then the next big development is that she is afforded a phone call to Bob Hansen. So I remember we set up the phone call and I'm listening at the other end. Agents removed Hansen's handcuffs for the phone call. He was seated in a chair, phone to his ear, in a bland room at the FBI office. There were other agents there, too. And the first words out of her mouth is, why did you do it? What does that statement tell you? It's not, did you do it, or are you accused of doing it, but why did you do it? Pluta had a handset to his ear, so he could listen, too. He was seated at a desk right next to Hansen. The FBI wanted to know everything Hansen had to say, especially if he tried to pass information to Bonnie in code. Do you remember what Bob said? He didn't say anything because he knew I was listening on the other line. <laughs> and so it was like, I, I think he tried to muddle some, some sort of answer through, and that call did not last very long. Maybe two to three minutes. Pluta remembers Hansen seemed flustered on the call, like he was grasping for what to tell Bonnie. Bonnie continued to talk to the agents until the early hours of the morning. She would eventually be cleared of any wrongdoing. Meanwhile, the FBI took Hansen's full palm and fingerprints, his mugshot, and finished the processing paperwork. Hansen asked to see the case supervisor, FBI agent Deborah Smith. And so I walked into the room where he was seated and said, I'm Deborah Smith. I understand you wanted to speak with the supervisor on the case. And he just looked at me and said, this should help your career. After more than two decades, Robert Hansen had been caught. His career and life as he knew it was over. And he wanted to congratulate Smith on arresting him? I didn't really respond to him. Of course, I wasn't going to say anything to jeopardize our case. So we didn't really have a conversation after that. But I just thought it odd that he would say that. Did he have a look in his eye or a demeanor that struck you in any way? Nope. He looked perfectly calm and... Totally flat. Totally flat, yes. No affect. No. Severe espionage cases carry the specter of the death penalty. There hadn't been an American executed for spying since Julius and Ethel Rosenberg in 1953. But Hansen's disclosures were so grave that capital punishment wasn't out of the question. The government had what appeared to be an ironclad case. The affidavit ran more than 100 pages, an extraordinarily detailed document that left little in doubt. Hansen's goal wasn't to beat the rap. It was to protect his family's financial lifeline and, if possible, escape execution. From CBS News, I'm Major Garrett, and this is Agent of Betrayal, the double life of Robert Hansen. Episode 8, Dos Vedania. The worst spy in FBI history had just been caught. But the Bureau wasn't in the clear. It had a little whiskey tango foxtrot problem. The arrest would be followed by no end of WTF questions about FBI incompetence, FBI laziness, and FBI stupidity. The White House would go nuts. Congress would go nuts. Bureau morale would nosedive. The FBI knew it was sitting on bad news that would trigger a media frenzy, and it needed time to prepare. It was a three-day weekend, and we didn't want things exploding on the media that night. Again, FBI agent Steve Pluta. 
it's my understanding someone from some organization called FBI and told them, do you have any comment about the arrest of an FBI agent for espionage? Before dawn the following day, Hansen was driven to a jail in Orange County, Virginia, about 90 miles southwest of D.C. He was actually put there, I believe, under a John Doe warrant at the time. So if there was a call, it would just be a John Doe? Yes. No no inmate Robert Hansen. And, and, uh, and I think you probably understand why. Oh, sure. Yes. All sorts of things uh, are done for good reason to confound reporters like me. I, I understand it and try to work around it. The news finally broke on Tuesday, February 20th, about 36 hours after the arrest. The FBI's case against Robert Hansen reads like a spy novel, depicting a cautious, secretive loner, captivated by the cloak-and-dagger world of double agents. He swore to uphold the law. Tonight, he is accused of selling out his country. The FBI is assessing the damage after a veteran agent was charged with selling secrets to the Russians for 15 years. That afternoon, FBI Director Louis Free held a press conference at FBI headquarters alongside the Attorney General and CIA Director. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Louis Free, the FBI Director. The FBI arrested Robert Philip Hansen, who was charged with committing espionage. Hansen is a special agent of the FBI with a long career in counterintelligence. The investigation that led to these charges is the direct result... Of Hansen's the- lawyer, Plato Kacharis, spoke to reporters outside the federal courthouse in Alexandria, Virginia. What was the demeanor of your client? You had a chance to talk to him this morning. He's quite upset. Was he arrested in the park last night, or was it at his home? Can you clarify? What I don't know. Doing at the time? I don't know. I met him this morning for the first time. How strong is the case against him? I have no idea. Where's I told you, I just got in it this morning, so I, I don't know. How does he intend to plead? At this point, not guilty. Hanson's neighbors, friends, his former colleagues heard the news. We, we couldn't believe it. Right. Nobody could believe it. So I went running to my wife and said, that, that, that's my roommate. That's my roommate on TV. He's a spy. You know, it was a total shock. Well, I felt like someone hit me in the stomach, and I was like bent, almost bent over physically. Hanson's best friend Jack had just flown to Arizona to visit his parents. He found out while watching the morning news with his mother. Oh, my God. My whole worldview was crumbling practically. Here is my... Best friend, super conservative, super patriotic, super anti-communist, has just been arrested for being an agent for the Soviet Union. And I was frankly crushed. For the family of Brian Kelly, the CIA man wrongly accused of being the mole, it was sweet vindication. His son Brian heard about Hansen on his car radio. I had to pull off the side of the road. I've never felt that experience in my life, I don't think I ever will again, but it, it it's indescribable of what I felt released through my body. As for Priscilla Sue Gailey, she was at her mother's house reading a story to her young son when the news broke on television. I sat down and listened, and I'm like, well, it's just not true. You know, just, they got the wrong one. They were looking for a mole, but they just got the wrong one. But it was him. <laughs> And he was getting cuffed, and I was flabbergasted. The Friday of that climactic week, FBI agent Steve Pluta drove down to the Orange County, Virginia jail to deliver something to FBI Special Agent Robert Philip Hansen. His termination papers. Security at the jail was tight. 
I tell you, I went through the ringer just to try to get in, even though they knew I was coming. <laughs> it was like, I tell you, I, I don't mean to laugh, but I think it was just shy of a cavity search before they let me in. Thorough. The, the very thorough. And so then you get in, and where where do you find Robert Hansen? He was behind like a, a glass enclosure, and it was very uh, surreal because Orange County... It's like orange and white pinstripe jumpsuits, if I recall. And just to see Hansen's look on his face, sort of like, uh, almost seemed defeated at the time, be honest with you. Uh, I'm across the glass and I, you know, remind him who I am and I here's your termination papers from the FBI. And at the same token, he's trying to pass me letters which were written to his wife. Did he say very much to you? No, other than please get these to my wife and my children, uh, these letters, and it's like, I'm not taking anything. I'm just here to drop off termination papers. Later, Bonnie and the family would visit Hanson in jail for about 45 minutes at a time. Myself and other agents would actually sit and monitor those visits live to make sure there wasn't any coded information being passed from him to his wife or vice versa. Would you describe those interactions as highly emotional or pretty straight up? Well, emotional, uh, just think about this one. Obviously, there was some information that came out about Priscilla Sugali, an exotic dancer. And just think about it. Instead of Bonnie learning it directly from Bob Hansen, she has to read about him in the paper. So when you say emotional, yeah, I think there were some that were very emotional. The legal team representing Hansen had some experience with espionage cases. Years earlier, his attorney, Plato Kacharis, had represented convicted spy Aldrich Ames. Kacharis represented clients involved in historic scandals. Monica Lewinsky, insiders wrapped up in Watergate and Iran-Contra, and in more recent days, Edward Snowden. Kacharis was a character. He died in 2019, but he spoke to the press around Hansen's court appearances. What do you do with the money? That's a lot of money that he doesn't seem to have accumulated any personal assets. Uh, Jim, I, I don't know what he did. He, Living expenses, basically. Huh? There's $800,000 in a bank in Moscow. I volunteered to go get it, but they won't let me. <laughs> Kacharis was known not necessarily for winning cases, but for brokering the most favorable terms for his often guilty clients. What was the goal in representation of Bob Hansen? Ultimately, spare his life and secure some type of financial comfort for Bonnie Hansen. Preston Burton worked alongside Kacharis on Hansen's legal team. I don't think he was so concerned about himself. I, I think most of his concern was driven by the well-being of his family. The defense team hired psychiatrist Dr. David Charney to analyze Hansen. Dr. Charney practiced in Alexandria, Virginia, and often worked with members of the intelligence community. He'd even been on the defense team for FBI spy Earl Pitts. Hansen's team wanted to see if there were any mental health arguments they could use to sway a potential jury away from a death sentence. Dr. Charney interviewed Hansen in prison for two hours every week for a year. He was a, a fascinating man. 
what do you make of a guy who is betraying his country on the one hand, and on the other hand, still feels that he's in a, a patriotic American, and he is trying in his own way to improve and strengthen the FBI that he's, at the other hand, betraying. Charney got to know a version of Hansen that Hansen wanted him to see, and that few others witnessed. He was interesting, clever, a good conversationalist, a bit too smart for his own good, not quite as smart as what he thought he was, but also witty, witty in this interesting way. He had a sense of humor, a bit snarky and all that, but still, you know, you could laugh. Robert Hansen witty? A good conversationalist? It's difficult to imagine. Yet, Dr. Charney says that if he could pick an actor to portray Hansen, it would be, drumroll please, Jeff Goldblum? Goldblum plays these kind of neurotic characters, complicated, very smart, and also with a kind of a sarcastic, snarky kind of a wit, and underneath it, a pretty decent guy most of the time. And so that combination of factors really mapped nicely against the, the truth of, of Robert Hansen. So he was not one-dimensional at all. Dr. Charney didn't find anything that would serve as a mental health defense in Hansen's case. But Hansen's legal team also knew what the government wanted and thought if Hansen was transparent with investigators, it might be enough to keep him alive. I think the government's goal here was to get debriefings. This is common in espionage cases. It's basically a damage assessment. Not six months after his arrest, lightning speed in legal time, the government offered Hansen a deal. Hansen would plead guilty to 15 counts of espionage and submit to as many debriefings as the government desired. There would be 75 sessions in all, totaling more than 200 hours. In exchange for cooperating with investigators, Hansen would serve 15 life sentences in prison without parole. Bonnie would get to keep the family house and collect survivor's benefits of her husband's retirement pay, as if Hansen had died. Hansen's lawyer again, Plato Kacharis. Uh, the death penalty is no longer an option in this case. A reporter asked where Hansen would be incarcerated. There is a recommendation uh, that we believe the judge will uh, accept that he go to Allenwood, which is a high-security facility. And the reason for that is it's convenient to his family. And as someone asked earlier, his family very much stands with him and very much will be visiting. That's in Pennsylvania? Yes. One of Hansen's debriefing sessions was interrupted by the attacks on 9-11. Hansen had to be whisked back to his cell, which was a few miles from the Pentagon. Among many other things, 9-11 meant that the remainder of the Hansen story was buried in the news. Hansen spoke briefly at the sentencing hearing in 2002. Here's my CBS News colleague, Ward Sloan, reading Hansen's statement. First, I wish to thank all my family, friends, and co-workers who have expressed their support for me. 
I also wish to thank those who have provided support for my family, some of whom are here today. I am humbled by your generosity, your goodness, and your charity. Best friend Jack was at the hearing. So were several FBI colleagues. Mr. Kacharis has said that an apology would be appropriate at this time if I choose to make one. I do. I apologize for my behavior. I am shamed by it. Beyond its illegality, I have torn the trust of so many. Worse, I have opened the door for calumny against my totally innocent wife and our children. I have hurt them deeply. I have hurt so many deeply. For all this, I stand ready to accept the sentence of this court. At the age of 58, Robert Hansen began his life sentence. The government denied his request to be sent to prison in Pennsylvania near his home and family. Instead, Hansen was sent to the loneliest place the feds could find for him. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects. But there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. After pleading guilty, former FBI Special Agent Robert Hansen got a new title, inmate number 48551-083. It was mid-July 2002. Hansen was taken to the only super-maximum security facility in the U.S., ADX Florence, the so-called Alcatraz of the Rockies. Has anyone ever escaped a supermax? No. Not the supermax in Colorado, just Alcatraz. Bob Hood served as warden at Supermax from 2002 to 2005, early in Hansen's tenure there. The prison is about two hours south of Denver and sits beneath the often snow-capped peaks of the Rocky Mountains. Outside its brick walls, there's a mix of sniper towers, armed mobile patrols, razor wire, and remote nothingness. So from just the exterior, it's, it's uh, shocking. 
Not that inmates are doing any sightseeing from their cells. The inmate has no chance to see the world. Once you go into the supermax, you don't see the Rocky Mountains. You don't see the, the sky. It's basically you're seeing um, no other inmate when you look out the front and no inmate when you look out a small back window. And I say small, it's a couple inches wide, uh, enough to look out and get some sunshine. It's a prison designed for each inmate to live in near total solitary confinement. Hansen's 84 square foot cell sat behind bars. Outside the bars was a secure steel door. What was his daily life like? Picture yourself in a 7 by 12 foot box. So he has access to a TV. He has access to a small number of books that he uh, get, can get from our library. Um, so his day is truly 23 hours a day inside of a very stark uh, room, being fed three times during that day. And he'll have visitors, visitors meaning staff. I would say at a minimum, he would see six to eight people come by and at least inquire uh, how he's doing. But his day is as boring as you can possibly think of, except for what the inmate decides to do. And in his case, it was purely reading, 100%. I don't think I've ever seen him where he was even watching TV much. It was always reading when I would go by his cell. Hansen read so much, he once complained to the medical staff of left elbow soreness from propping himself up. His ailment may have had something to do with the creature comforts inside his cell, steel and concrete. It's a cement bed. It's solid cement with hooks on it in case you have to secure a person. And then there's a mat that goes on and the appropriate blankets and pillows and things like that. Is there a toilet? There is a toilet, a stainless steel toilet. In the cell itself? Correct. Hansen's cell was also outfitted with a concrete desk and stool and a shower. His neighbors included gangsters, terrorists, and drug lords. As the saying goes, the worst of the worst. Unabomber, shoe bomber, underwear bombers, uh, the Ramsey Yusuf, of course, from the 1993 World Trade Bombers, the uh, Olympic bomber from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's almost like anyone that's so high profile where they're a threat to you and I um, or others within the prison system. Uh, that the supermax is the the last stop, if you will. Now, Hansen wasn't exactly hobnobbing with El Chapo, Sammy the Bull Gravano, or Ted Kaczynski. Like nearly every supermax inmate, Hansen was held in isolation, twenty three hours a day, seven days a week, for almost twenty one years. For one hour each day, Hansen could exercise, alone, and caged. Describe that one hour of recreation. He'll be strip searched first to make sure he doesn't have anything on him. They will put leg irons on him. They'll put handcuffs on him, a belly chain so he can't lift his arms up and hit you. And he's carefully walked down this main corridor past other cells. But again, he can't see much. There's doors there. Once an inmate reached the exercise space, he would be unshackled. And basically put into a caged area where he can walk around in circles. There's nothing much you can do except, you know, in that case, you do see the sky. No beauty. There's nothing beauty except for the sky. Is there any equipment of any kind in there? Most of the time, it's just you walking in a circle in the cage with a concrete base, period. Warden Hood made daily rounds throughout the complex, which can hold up to 490 inmates, but has never reached capacity. I would see every inmate every day. How would you describe Bob Hansen? 
Well, not your typical inmate. You know, we're so used to dealing with uh, feces throwers, cutters, people that hurt themselves. You know, Robert Hansen, we bring him through the door. And I'm um, sure it was a shock for him, but more importantly, maybe even for our staff, because he's uh, obviously uh, extremely um, intelligent. He's older, he's educated, he's seen the world. So he's much different. There might be a little bit more arrogance thinking he is better. He's, he's, uh, he's not one of them when he first got there. Warden Hood recalls a particular interaction where Hansen put that arrogance on full display. He asked me one time, he, he said, Warden, do you have your senior executive service level? It's none of his business. I could flip him off if I had that personality. But I said, uh, yes. And he said, well, so do I. Senior executive service is a special designation reserved for top government leaders. It was something the FBI dangled to entice Hansen back to FBI headquarters so investigators could watch his every move. He hadn't exactly earned it. To me, that adds up to exactly what I would expect of him because I've earned mine. And for him to say, well, I, I have one too. If you're trying to ask if I have, what's my pay grade, and you tell me that we're equal, I disagree to this day that we are not equal. Warden Hood recalls Hansen's wife, Bonnie, visiting Supermax. Prison rules forbade contact, so Hansen and Bonnie were separated by glass and spoke through a phone, their conversations recorded by the feds. A friend told us, they would pray the rosary. Occasionally, someone from the intelligence community would stop by to debrief Hansen. That was about it, except for one high-profile visit in 2004. Warden Hood hosted then-FBI Director Robert Mueller and his entourage for a tour of the prison. An agent asked if they could see their former colleague, Robert Hansen. Don't get me wrong, I want to respect uh, the FBI director coming through. But I also want to know people's intent. You know, this is not the local zoo and you want to see a certain animal. Warden Hood's answer wasn't no, but he was wary. Hansen, the traitor, face-to-face with the head of the organization he'd crossed? Inmates are sent to prison as punishment, not for punishment. I recall saying that to one of the agents. This is not the time to hit him again. He's, he's already doing life. He's not going anywhere. He's going to die in that cell. So uh, if you want to see him, do it in an appropriate manner. They got my message. So we, uh, we headed toward the, the range where he was kept. And what was that interaction like? There was basically a nod of the head. It was, it was almost like a, a surprise, I think, for, for Hanson, for sure. And a surprise for me that there wasn't a little bit more conversation. Would it be too much to call it a stare down or did they just look at each other? Hanson, I think, was like a smile first because he thought it was just me. And then he realized there's an entourage behind me. So the smile went into a a, a stare. And uh, again, I couldn't see all the faces, but enough to know that it was more of a stare down. And then everyone, to include Hanson, had a just a nod but I think the nod was um, basically as good as you're going to get. I think, in my mind, it was, that's what you get. You get a nod. During Warden Hood's tenure, Hansen's access to the outside came through the black-and-white TV in his cell. It had a few channels and some religious programming provided by the prison. Hansen also got copies of USA Today. 
and he could make calls, albeit to a very small group of people, his family and his lawyers. As part of our reporting, we sued the Bureau of Prisons under the Freedom of Information Act to find out more about Hansen's phone calls. In 20-plus years at Supermax, Hansen placed more than 1,100 calls. That works out to about one a week. The family calls were recorded and monitored in real time by an FBI agent. The government told us his first phone call came almost exactly a year after he got to Supermax. We asked if he was actually denied phone privileges for a year or if this was just bad record-keeping. The Bureau of Prisons wouldn't say. For a time, Hansen was also allowed to exchange letters with friends. I think this is like a five-page letter. And I... One pen pal was Paul Moore, Hansen's carpool buddy at the FBI, whom we introduced in episode one. Here's Moore reading from a letter he received from Hansen in 2005, after Hansen had seen a TV show about his case. Uh, so he says, P.S. And one more thing. Shows like this keep asserting I agreed to cooperate in return for removal of the death penalty. That's untrue. I told them I'd take the death penalty if my wife and the children got her pension. The issue of justice was my only concern. Justice wanted to be seen as hammering me into cooperating. I was willing to help all along. I told that to my attorney on our first meeting. Moore retired from the FBI four years before Hansen went to Supermax. Even so, the government cut off his contact with Hansen after three or four letters. Basically, it's just a, it's just a punishment. Uh, I think they knew that Bob enjoyed getting letters from me, and so they put a stop to it. I was writing letters to Bob because I thought he would like uh, knowing that somebody uh, was out there who, uh, you know, who was thinking of him and thinking from time to time even kind thoughts. Former FBI and Supermax officials told us they couldn't take any chances that Hansen might use the letters to communicate with Russian intelligence. Best friend Jack Hoshauer also traded notes with Hansen and sent him books. He shared with us one of the letters he received from Hansen. Here's our colleague reading an excerpt, as best we can discern the handwriting. Hansen's all-caps longhand is difficult to make out. Bonnie remains a saint. Here I live in my 10 by 15 foot concrete box and read. I don't recommend it though, despite the chance to read. I have a television, but without news channels. They rip the covers off any hard bound books. Right now I have McCullough's John Adams. Henson then compared his confinement to his and Jack's summer job at the psychiatric hospital back in the 1960s. I live in a world more insane than Chicago State Hospital, if you can imagine that. I share a cell block with infamous terrorists who, while personable, are in fact certifiable lunatics. That was the last time Jack heard from his best friend. The government also cut off their communication a few months after Hansen got to Supermax. I don't think there is a day that goes by that something I do, something I see, something I read doesn't remind me of him. We tried sending Hansen a letter at Supermax. We explained our podcast and asked to interview him. We're fairly certain the letter never made it to Hansen since we weren't on the list of approved contacts. And even if it had, 
the government is loath to let federal inmates do interviews, especially Hansen. Hansen embarrassed Uncle Sam, and Uncle Sam, it turns out, can be a vengeful warden. Perpetual silence was part of Hansen's sentence. The Department of Justice also wanted to ensure Hansen could no longer perpetuate or profit from his espionage while in prison. This might be a tough question for you to answer, but does he belong at Supermax? My honest answer is no. Again, former Supermax warden Bob Hood. Does he need to be in a box? Does he need to be locked down? That is, in my opinion, beyond the punishment needed. Doing life, I'm not opposed to that. Why do you need to be in the box? And the answer, in my opinion, as a former senior person with the uh, Department of Justice, that's, that's the extra punishment. That's the X factor. But to put him in there is to say, we wish you got the death penalty, but you didn't. Or in some cases, uh, and I do believe this, life at the Supermax, the Alcatraz of the Rockies in Colorado, is far worse than death. He doesn't need to be in that kind of a setting, period. Did it feel to you that that was the Department of Justice's way of saying, you embarrassed us and we are pissed off? Exactly. I'm not saying let the man free. I'm just saying staying in the box for the rest of your life is basically saying to Robert Hansen, you have offended us so much, meaning the government, so much that we want your daily life to be so bad, and we want to compare it to a person that brought down the World Trade Center. Much of what we have learned about Hansen's time at Supermax comes from 1,500 pages of prison records we obtained through our lawsuit. Hansen, like every inmate, received regular visits from the prison's mental health team. On one such encounter, Hansen declined to answer questions about the challenges of living in solitary confinement. The doctor doing the evaluation wrote that Hansen laughed and said, quote, Actually, I prefer to be alone. Hansen's disciplinary history at Supermax was spotless. His medical records reflect a patient who was unwell and had a lot of time to ruminate about his health. Upset stomach, lower back pain, ingrown toenail, worsening eyesight. Hansen was diagnosed with celiac disease and prescribed a gluten-free diet. When a blood test came back with elevated blood sugar, Hansen confessed to eating a lot of candy in the morning, purchased from the prison commissary. He had a history of kidney problems, high blood pressure, diabetes, and gout. Hansen's health deteriorated considerably over his tenure at Supermax. In the summer of 2021, court records show that Hansen's adult son, Jack, retained an attorney, and we have learned that was to help improve his father's confinement conditions. It's not clear if those attempts were successful. And then, on June 5th, 2023... Robert Hansen, once called the most damaging spy in FBI history for selling national security secrets to Russia, died today in a Colorado prison. Prison staff found inmate number 48551-083 unresponsive. EMTs broke Hansen's sternum and ribs trying to revive him, to no avail. Sources tell CBS News in the end he died of natural causes. He was 79 years old. Hansen was pronounced dead at 9.02 a.m. 
the underlying cause, colon cancer. An autopsy revealed no foul play, only that Hansen, at age 79, had withered to just 161 pounds, nearly his lowest weight since his incarceration. Robert Hansen died as the government he betrayed intended, alone. Would anyone ever really know why he did what he did? I spoke to Bonnie yesterday, Mm -hmm. and she said that Bob had been complaining about a bladder infection for quite a while. My producer, Arden Fari, called Hansen's best friend, Jack Hoshauer, a day after Hansen was pronounced dead. He had spoken to Bonnie, who happened to be in Colorado for a family event a few days earlier. Her granddaughter graduated from the Air Force Academy, so she was out there and went to see him. And he said he's lost so much weight that when he stood up, his pants fell down. Oh, my God. Did, did you get the sense that she had a chance to say goodbye? No, I mean, she had no idea, apparently, that that was going to happen, except she just said, He was so emaciated, so gaunt. What was your sense of how Bonnie is dealing with it? She seemed very calm. She told me uh, when the news, when they got the news, that all the kids cried. And uh, she said she's going to have them uh, cremated and brought back to be buried. uh, There's going to be a a funeral mass sometime, to which I am not invited, by the way. Jack said the Hanson kids did not want him at the funeral, with Jack's voyeurism of their mother and all, which became public a few months after the arrest. News of Hanson's death hit him hard. You know, he dropped me off at the airport that day, and we said goodbye, and I was the last friendly face he saw. I would have given anything to, to have been able to talk to him. As for the funeral, it happened over the summer, and details were kept quiet. There was something public, a mass held in Hansen's name at a parish in Virginia the Hansons once attended. We sent a producer to check it out. It was a typical weekday Catholic service. Aside from a line in the church bulletin, there was no mention of Hansen. The mass was lightly attended, and his family did not appear to be there. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E 
Byte.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. If you'd be so kind, Glenn, uh, finish this sentence. Robert Philip Hansen was. Was the most damaging spy in FBI history. This is Glenn Fine. He was the Justice Department Inspector General who wrote the report on how the FBI missed Hansen. Was he a, like a super spy, like super really good at it, or was he just kind of average but damaging in different ways? Well, I would say he was a mediocre agent who had strong technical abilities but very weak managerial and interpersonal skills. It was not because he was such a master spy that he evaded detection. Much of his conduct, in fact, when he was committing espionage, was reckless. But the FBI's longstanding deficiencies in its internal security program allowed him to commit that espionage undetected for over two decades. In his debriefings with the FBI, Hansen said if the Bureau had ever run a financial audit on him, he would have been caught. Hansen brought to light massive FBI security weaknesses. Before Hansen, the FBI did not polygraph agents on a regular basis. In his 25 years with the Bureau, Hansen never sat for one. The FBI never monitored the accessing, downloading, or photocopying of sensitive documents, a boon to Hansen, who was left largely unsupervised to browse as he pleased. Nothing sensitive was given any marker that could be checked when leaving any FBI building, allowing Hansen to breeze out of headquarters with documents and computer disks again as he pleased. Even easier than checking out a book from the public library. He actually said to us that if there were greater deterrence, he, he would not have committed espionage. I don't know if that's true or not, but the deterrence was not there and that many of his actions were reckless and warranted follow-up. Hansen knew the FBI's weaknesses and exploited them. Inspector General Fine's report on the Hansen debacle listed a number of reforms to internal security and the screening of agents as a result of his arrest. How many of the recommendations contained in the report did the FBI subsequently put into place? So we made 21 recommendations uh, in our report, which was issued in 2003. There was an initial resistance on some of them, but they had responded and we were making significant progress in implementing those recommendations. Many we spoke with at the FBI believe that now the Bureau is much less vulnerable. That doesn't mean there won't be another FBI spy, but it does mean that spy is likely to be found much faster. We found that his initial decision to commit espionage uh, arose from a complex blend of factors, uh, including low self-esteem, desire to demonstrate intellectual superiority, um, a feeling that he was above the law, and a lifelong fascination with espionage and its and and his desire really to be a player in that world. He also was motivated by financial rewards he would receive and the lack of deterrence. There isn't one neat answer to why Hansen turned spy. Hansen didn't seem to be an ideological ally of communism or the Soviets. There's nothing to suggest he wanted the USSR to defeat America. One of his motivations did seem to be money. He had six kids to put through private Catholic school and a household to maintain. 
Yet, this doesn't appear to have been Hansen's primary motive. If it were, he could have come away with a fuller piggy bank. The secrets he handed over were golden, worth many millions. In all, he pocketed about $600,000. The Russians said they put another $800,000 in an escrow account. All of it a pittance compared to what he could have fetched. What about ego? Absolutely. Dr. David Charney says that applies to nearly all of his cases. The feeling of insufficiency, uh, lack of success, certain other personal motivations of feeling uh, not appreciated, feeling like a failure on many levels that causes people to try to do something that will change that equation within their own mind. Hansen felt demeaned by his father, Howard. No one in the Chicago Police Department remembers Lieutenant Howard Hansen. No one in the FBI will ever forget his son. In prison letters to his friend Paul Moore, Hansen suggested his treachery wasn't really that bad. By Hansen's reasoning, he was quieting Cold War hostilities by making the Soviets less fearful of U.S. intentions, capabilities, and plans. He rationalized his actions with the belief that he was creating equilibrium in a deadly Cold War face-off. This was complete bullshit. That's not my word. That's the word of numerous FBI colleagues and outside analysts. Hansen came to resent the FBI and his superiors there. He believed he was the smartest man in any room he walked into. He seethed as he was passed over for promotions by people he thought were idiots. He nursed a grudge. That disparity between self-worth and the perception of others, Dr. Charney told us, can turn into a blinding compulsion. They finally come up with this brilliant idea of crossing the line that's going to solve so many problems, achieve so many things. Once they've crossed the line, they discover that they are stuck and trapped. Trapped in the dead zone of having betrayed America and served a hostile foreign power. But then the truth starts to trickle into your brain. If you had any ideas about trying to end it, you discover that's impossible. Impossible because he can't leave the Russians, and going to the FBI to confess isn't a great option either. I call that sharks in a shark tank. Well, what does that mean? Sharks can swim with each other fine, but if one of them gets nicked and starts to bleed, the other sharks will turn on him like prey. You are stuck and trapped. And you've got to try to figure out how to tow that narrow line for what? For the rest of your life? Who knows? They made their bed, they have to sleep in it now. Hansen slept in that bed for years, and apparently with not nearly the angst Dr. Charney encountered with other spies. Dr. Charney told us Hansen did express some remorse in their sessions. Now, I'm not going to say to you that it was a full, heartfelt, long statement of remorse, because that wouldn't be Bob Hansen. Hansen's remorse was as compartmentalized as everything else. He clung to his compartments never breaking free. The spying, trying to be a good FBI special agent, trying to be a good husband, doing things that violated that, trying to be a good father, but risking all this terrible 
public denunciation that spills onto the family. It goes on and on, these opposites that coexist in a way that you just scratch your head and say, how does he do that? I cannot answer that. The family, Bonnie, the six children, the more than 15 grandchildren, all live in the shadow of Hansen's vile public and private crimes. Numerous gentle attempts to elicit any comment were met with politely persistent denials, or no answers at all. Interestingly, Hansen's grandson, Jack Trimber, does stand-up comedy around the D.C. area. All right, thanks, guys. Uh, how, how's everybody feeling tonight? Good? We chatted a bit with him, but he wasn't willing to be interviewed for the podcast. But we did see his set about his grandfather. It opens with the line, My grandpa died recently, and I really don't care. My grandpa is probably one of the worst people in the history of the country. Comedy is one way to digest the tragedy. Bonnie, we have been told, committed her life to saving Robert Hansen's soul, prayed for it regularly, discussed it with him on the phone and in visits to Supermax. They stayed married. We have learned the family has found comfort in Scripture. One passage deals with the why question. What I do, I do not understand. For I do not what I want but I do what I hate. For I do not do the good I want, but I do the evil I do not want. Dr. Charney told us Hansen thoroughly enjoyed the time he spent talking about himself in their sessions to the FBI, the CIA, anyone who came to debrief him on his crimes and treachery. When you're the center of attention, it feeds something into you. And, Dr. Charney said, once caught, Hansen was relieved of the anxiety every spy experiences, even the cold-blooded ones. After a while, it gets to be exhausting. Exhausting. And what else do they live with on a daily basis? Fear. They never know when the other shoe will drop. You know that at any time, you'll, you can hear the knock on the door. Well, living with constant anxiety and anticipatory dread about everything collapsing on you, how do you go through every day with that on you? It's hard, very hard. It almost sounds like that year he spent with you and the FBI might have been one of the best parts of his life. Yes. Yes, because he had a chance to tell his story for the first time. And be relieved of this anxiety. Yes, yes, you're totally correct. When somebody is caught, they don't have that anymore. In the end, Hansen got what he was always seeking. Recognition, not fame, but eternal infamy. I believe it should be fine, and thank you very much.
This series was reported by me, Major Garrett, Arden Fari, and Sarah Cook. Our team of reporters and producers also includes Jamie Benson, Pat Milton, Jake Rosen, and Nellie Watson. Our producing partner is Neon Hum Media. Our senior producer is Odelia Rubin. Zoe Culkin is our associate producer. Original music and sound design by Hans Dale Shee. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Our thanks to Matthew Schaefer, Kimberly Sullivan, Lily Roos, Mark Mehmet, Ward Sloan, and Ainsley Rosito. Executive producers for Agent of Betrayal are Arden Fari, Shara Morris, and me, Major Garrett. Special thanks to Mark Lima, Megan Marcus, Ingrid Cyprian Matthews, and Steve Racies of CBS News, and Jonathan Hirsch of Neon Hum Media. We welcome you to contact us at agentofbetrayal at cbsnews.com. That's agentofbetrayal at cbsnews.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts. Join me, 48 Hours correspondent Erin Moriarty, on my podcast, My Life of Crime, as I take on true crime investigations like no other. This season, I'm looking into the secrets within families, cutting straight to the evidence and talking to the people directly involved. Enjoy My Life of Crime on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on Wondery Plus.